This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. All right, folks, ready to go again. We asked you to uh, put down a few questions for the panel, so plenty of questions to get through. Now, just to remind you, it is a live podcast. It's going to be broadcast, so we need you to keep quiet. Not everyone is here tonight, so people that want to listen in, this is the Blood Red podcast. I said it's the first time it's been broadcast and recorded outside Liverpool, so if we could just keep it as quiet as possible. And uh, we've got the panel back out here. Also, as well, I forgot to mention that when you're on your way out, you go via the cloakroom and there'll be a, a little gift for you on the way. Yeah. No, no. I wish. I would love to say we had a, a chartered flight out to Madrid. So we'll get into the questions. Ted. You were very good to, to give us some questions. So I'm going to fire, as I said, you got to, we want to keep the, keep the noise down. Um, right, so th- I'm going to put this one to you, Ian, and uh, this is about James Milner. Somebody, this is from Keen Buckley, said, do you keep James Milner? If not, how do you replace his versatility, fitness and experience? Well, you keep him because he's still under contract. There's been some suggestion he may have been out, out of contract at the end of the season, but he's not. He's got another year. I don't see any reason. Why would you want to get rid of him? He's been, he's been, yeah, he's been such Except a great... Well, give it time. <laughs> he's been such a great success at Liverpool. He's been probably better than even he expected because he came to Liverpool thinking... He came to Liverpool under Brendan Rodgers thinking he was going to be playing central midfield. He ended up spending a year playing left-back under Jurgen Klopp and, you know, he obviously wasn't too... You can t- if you ask him privately, he probably said he wouldn't be too happy doing that, but he was going to do it for the team and now he's playing in... Champions League semi-final against Barcelona. I thought he was one of Liverpool's you know, best players on the day. He had a good game in the, in the first leg as well. He, he, he is somebody, as we mentioned in the first part of this, that Klopp trusts him, relies on him. You know, who else would he play? That, that player would he take out and play at left-back for, for somebody out of position for an entire season? And then he's come and he's played in a variety of positions. I don't see any reason why you'd want to get rid of him. And he does have experience, which is something that perhaps this Liverpool team in terms of the actual ages of the players, they haven't actually got that many players over the age of 30, and he's somebody who's seen it, done it, and hopefully wins the Champions League on Saturday. And he takes a main penalty. He does, he's yes. so reliable. He does. You kind of wonder, actually, if he's not on the pitch on Saturday, is Salah going to be the penalty taker? He'd be the next in line, yeah. Um, but, yeah, in terms of James Milner, I mean, he's an absolute inspirational presence in the dressing room. Whether, you know, whether he's in the starting lineup or not, it doesn't doesn't change how vocal he is, you know, the, the way that the role he has in terms of Gian players up and you, know, you speak to either the two fullbacks and they'll tell you that even if he's on the bench and he's warming up on the touchline, you know, he's still barking instructions at them, telling them when there's a man on, telling them what passes on and all the rest of it. He is a he's a proper you know, he's a proper leader in that in that dressing room and as Ian said, in what is still a relatively young a young team, um, he's absolutely massive. And I think Keeping him around for another year is just an absolute no-brainer. I don't think that's even. I don't think that's even on the agenda. I think the interesting thing is, do Liverpool then give him another contract? Because you can make an argument that they should be putting an extension under his nose. I think the awkward thing with that is, 
you know, he, what is he, 33 at the moment. So, you know, you, you're talking about a player who'd be 34 this time next year. And he's on, he's on big money, obviously, with, having signed him on a free transfer. You know, you're looking at kind of you know, 120 grand a week plus. Um, so, you know, whether, whether, whether he can still do it, you know, there's nothing to suggest at the moment that he won't be able to still do it at 34, 35. Um, but I think that's probably the reason why we haven't seen Liverpool rush to give him an extension because you know, he's still got another year to go and you know, there's no question that he will definitely spend the next 12 months as, as an integral part of this squad at least. OK, Steve, this one's for you. If you had to pick one of Messi, Ronaldo or Origi. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and here's the end of the question. Who would you start up front and why is it Origi? <laughs> <laughs> and that comes from Joseph Quinn. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. Um, I think it's an easy one, isn't it? Big Divock has, has earned his place um, in folklore um, in, in, this, in this club. Um, There's a DVD in this season for Origi, isn't there? There is, there is. <laughs> to, to a techno beat. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it's, listen, he, he's been superb in, his, in the way he's, he's got his head down. You know, even if he does move on this summer, no one would begrudge him whatever move he gets. If he stays, people will be happy for him to stay next season because in the last three, four months, ever since the derby, let's be honest, people had him written off before that. He came in, scored that goal, and that's cult hero stuff. You know, that's, that's cult status. And to then go and do what he's done, um, you know, he gets, he gets the, the, the late header, then he gets the goal against uh, Barca to kick off our, our comeback against them. You know... It would be an absolutely amazing achievement to see him get a goal in the final. If he scores the winner, that DVD is... But the, if he I, scores the winner, they're just going to take down the Paisley statue and uh, put, up, put up a Divock statue. That's what's going to happen. So. Divock Origi is the answer. Divock Origi is the answer, yeah. Okay, this one is for you, James, from Anthony Clancy. He wants to know, will the owners invest in the Anfield Road Stadium extension? Yeah, I think they will. Um, the... Uh, the, the approach has always been that they wanted to focus firstly on uh, the training ground, which is coming along, of, you know, huge investment in, in the kind of redevelopment of, of the Kirby Academy into this state-of-the-art complex for the first team right through all the age groups. And, you know, that, will, that is on course to be open, opening its doors in the summer of 2020. Um, and, you know, now that that project is very well advanced, you know, I, I'm fully expecting them to to kick on this summer and uh, and look ahead to the Anfield Road development because I think you know you just you know everyone everyone here will know that it's so difficult to get tickets for for Liverpool home games you know every single game is sold out you know it's you know the main stand as well has been a you know an astonishing success when you you know you look at it and then you know it, you, you kind of feared for would it be in keeping with the rest of the stadium and you know you'd have to say it's enhanced it certainly atmosphere wise this you know, the last couple of years has, has, has been sensational in terms of what that's added to the ground. And, but, the, yeah, the ground's not big enough. That's the, that's the, the, the reality. And, um, you know, they've got outline planning permission in place. That, that runs until September this year um, to boost capacity up to about 60,000. Now, that deadline is not really, it's not really set in stone because, you know, the way it's been explained to me is Liverpool may decide to build something different than what they've got planning permission for. And if they decide to do that, then they'd have to obviously go through the planning process again. So, so that deadline in September isn't particularly uh, significant. But um, yeah, there's definitely, 
there's, you know, you, you definitely sense that desire on the owner's part. They always, I mean, the main stand was always described as redevelopment part one, part two was the Anfield Road end. And, you know, it's, I think the reason there's been a delay and people say, well, why didn't they just do it straight away? I think it's because the, the, the economics of the main stand were much easier in terms of, you only have to look at the numbers in the accounts, they're generating an extra 20 million a year from the main stand for you know, what, what effectively cost £110 million to build. So you're looking at within five and a half years, that's completely paid off. It's tr a bit trickier for the Anfield Road End because it won't have such a, an emphasis on corporate hospitality and the money that that brings in. But yeah, there is still that desire on the owner's part to make that happen. And you know, I certainly expect we'll see that over the next year or two. And just to follow up to that, Ian, another question in here is, when, this is from Sean McCartan. When was the last time the Anfield atmosphere has been as consistently good as this season? Well, that's, a, that's a very good question. I mean, I can't really remember, to be honest. I can't remember, certainly through the 90s and the 2000s, there was obviously the Champions League run in 2005, but they were one-off games. You're looking at even like games, I think, I think was it Bournemouth at home, and there was a three o'clock where after, it was, the atmosphere was that good. After the game, the players were talking about it, saying it felt like it was a European night because the, the fans were so totally up for it. I mean, it does help, obviously, that that Liverpool have been winning games for, for a couple of years now, and what is it, they've gone two years unbeaten in the, in the Premier Sam, League at home. Big Sam and Crystal it, Palace. It, it, ben ben Zeki as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what has also helped is the, the football that they're playing. Fans, I, I would go as far to say that the fans who go to the games regularly, this season's probably been the most enjoyable that they've ever had, because they, they go in and they know they're going to get entertained, probably going to see the team win. Invariably, they tend to win it in a really exciting way. They've had so many great moments along the way as well. And even if they don't win, I mean, we obviously all hope they win the Champions League. It would be disappointing if they didn't win it. But as we, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's just the start for something. This has been a great season for Liverpool, and especially those who've been fortunate enough to get the tickets to go to the games. I mean, it's been value for, is, there a, is there a team that's better value for money to watch than Liverpool this season? I'd have to say no. And that's it. See, football, like we all love football because it's fun. Mm. And you're going to watch Liverpool and it's, it's good fun. Okay, they're winning games, but they're doing it in a way that's easy on the eye. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I went to the, the most recent game I went to was Chelsea. And you're talking about the atmosphere in Anfield. I don't remember an, an atmosphere like that since... The last time I remember an atmosphere like that was the City game where Bellamy scored in the semi-final of the Carling Cup 2012. And the place... That was a, that was a Monday night, I think. Um, and the place was absolutely hopping because it's, whatever, half nine at night by then. Everybody's full of pints. And it was, it was, it was bouncing. But for the, for the Chelsea game, the actual noise, I don't just mean the energy, I mean the noise out of the ground was insane from, from minute one till the final whistle. Obviously, Salah's thunderbolt from, from whatever, 35 yards into the top corner helps along. But it didn't matter throughout that game. The, and and I've been over, I went over for the City game, I was over for the West Ham game this season, a couple of others. But that game was just insane and you're right it's it's the quality of football it's the belief in the players and the manager it's the we're going somewhere it's 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 not in previous seasons like we were saying earlier on before the interval it was always this feeling that this was a one-off season if good things were happening you know oh yeah but you know so and so will go out and spend x amount in the summer and they'll overtake us or you know we'll lose one or two of our best players and and we'll be we'll be in a position where we're starting again you don't nobody has that feeling anymore this is how do we now tweak? How do we now improve this absolutely elite level squad that we have? And what, do we, what are the small, minute you know, changes that we can make 
to, to tip the balance in our favour. It's never been like that before. Well, that brings me along to the next question nicely, and I can put this to all three of you. This is from Craig Gartland. Do you believe that Liverpool can beat City for the title next season, or is it going to be about more money spent by City yet again? I certainly expect Liverpool to be up there challenging them once again. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it, to make any, any kind of cast-iron predictions. But, you know, you just don't know what what City are going to do in the market. There's some we don't know what Liverpool are going to do at, at this stage in terms of shows of ambition. I think you know that the way City are, they're not going to, they're not going to stand still. They'll, they'll go and improve again. But I think the, the big thing is Liverpool have kicked on so far this season. When you think, what were they, you know, 25 points adrift or whatever a year ago, it, it felt then like it was, you know, a, it, it was a distant proposition, the idea that they'd, they'd even be contending for the, the Premier League title now. You know, to come so agonisingly close and and to prove that they're you know they're they're on the same level as the most expensively assembled squad in in the history of football. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all the investigations that are hanging over City. Um, you know, Pick are, them out. Are they? You know, are, you know what? <laughs> the um, you know Guardiola you know clearly didn't like the fact that um, you know that their achievements with the, the domestic treble were overshadowed by all the talk about the stuff off the pitch, but, you know, he, that's the reality of the world they live in. You know, you, no other club is under investigation from, you know, the Premier League, the FA, UEFA and FIFA. You know, it is, it is extraordinary and, you know, they're facing the prospect of a potential ban from the, from the Champions League. You know, will that impact on the way that they have to go about doing their business? Because, you know, it's certainly shone a light in, in terms of, you know, from everything from, you know, potentially breaking... You know, third-party ownership to, you know, there's the stuff about players' image rights. That, you know, and, and claiming that sponsors' funds are coming into the club that aren't really coming into the club. And you know, it's you know, for Liverpool, obviously, that is infuriating because the the big thing with Liverpool's rise is that it has 100% been within the rules. You know, the what, what, whatever means, you yeah. say, whatever you say about FSG, and you know, what you'd have to say, they've been true to their word from when they came in. They said we will build this club up. We will make it. We will make it operate as a much more effective business, and you know it, we we're not going to be sugar daddies. We're not going to throw money in, but we're going to generate extra income that will then be reinvested into the squad, and you know, and through very very shrewd recruitment and by having world class individuals in key positions, they've dragged Liverpool up to this level now where they're able to compete with City. You feeling confident for next season? I think next season it's going to be between Liverpool and City again. I think the light years ahead of everybody else. I think Chelsea have done better than I thought they were going to do this season. Arsenal will be better next season. Manchester United are just... They're just... Uh, <laughs> I, I can't... I, right, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho got a lot of stick last year when he said finishing second with Manchester United last season was one of his best achievements as a manager. And you've seen what they've been like this season. He was probably right because they're terrible. <laughs> Well, there, a lot of the United fans I know, their season is now about who Liverpool are playing. That's where they are at the moment. Like they're, that's all, that, that's it, always the case, yeah, isn't it? For but it, it, Liverpool, more so Liverpool, now. Liverpool fans were in this situation in 1999, so I'm um, you know, not going to have a go at United fans for that. They've got enough to worry about with their yeah, team. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to put this one to James from Aston Barry. How much influence do you think Pepe Linders has brought this season in comparison to the brain? Bubach. Yeah, I, I think 
Um, somebody actually put in brackets to the question, and what happened to Bubach? <laughs> Exclamation mark. Yeah, I mean, well, to, to address that one first, I don't think, you know, obviously Liverpool initially painted it as, I think, they, I think when they initially put the statement out after Bovac had gone a few weeks before last season's Champions League final, they, I think they said that it was, it was a personal thing and it was only a short-term issue. I think it certainly became very quickly apparent over the summer that he wasn't going to come back. Um, but there was no, from you know, speaking to various people, I don't think there was any great, big, dramatic fallout. I think it was, it was explained to me that just gradually over a period of time, Bovac had become more and more distant. Um, you know, a big thing for him was in terms of the video analysis they do, especially at half-time during games. You know, they've got the big screen in the dressing room and they, they tend to be picking out certain things and telling certain players things. And he just tend to, tended to play less and less of a, of a part in that where you know, people were picking up on, you know, that's a bit odd that he's not as involved as he was. And then that clearly reached the, reached the point where he didn't want to be at the club anymore. Um, but yeah, it's funny to think that, you know, certainly, you know, for myself and Ian, we had it thrown at us a lot in the early months of the season of, of Liverpool, you know, a rudderless without Bovac. How, how, you know, how can, you know, Klopp has been found out because he hasn't got his, his key lieutenant next to him. And, um, yeah, nobody's really mentioned him, have they, the last uh, five or six months? It's the um, first time I've mentioned him for a while. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of Pep Linders, you know, he's a, he's a fascinating fella. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's rel relatively young, certainly in coaching terms. You know, he's only mid-30s and, um, you know, he's just a massive student. And, again, you speak to him about football and he's, he's absolutely obsessed, you know, in his he's got an encyclopedic knowledge and, um, you know, we talked earlier on about Klopp wanting to, knowing his limitations and wanting to surround himself with experts. And he's certainly done that with Pep Linders because, you know, he, obviously Pep Linders left the club midway through last season, went to manage in, uh, in Holland briefly. Um, but I think what was telling was just how quickly Klopp moved to get him back. You know, Pep Linders was actually in Kiev um, last season before the final and met Klopp at the team hotel and that was effectively where they agreed that he would be coming back on board and I think he'd only been out of work in Holland for a, a couple of weeks because you know Klopp could understand his motivation for wanting to to go and become a manager and he also knew that once it hadn't worked out for him that Liverpool would be much much stronger with Pep Linders on board and the players absolutely love working with him. Ian we have been singing the praises of the captain Jordan Henderson but a question in here from Des McCabe, do you think Virgil van Dijk should be captain next season? No, for all the reasons that I said earlier. But if he was captain, he couldn't. No, nobody could really complain. Why would you making him captain's obvious, but it creates a problem that doesn't need to be there by upsetting Jordan Henderson. I mean, why would you? You know, there's, there's nothing to be gained from doing that. And van Dijk's the kind of person who we know he's a leader. He's a leader of the defence and all the other players feed off him. He's this kind of rare breed where he's a great player, but he also makes every single player that he plays with even better than they are. You've seen it with Matip, you saw it with Lovren last season. You've seen it with Gomez for the first part of, of, of this season. They've all improved because Van Dijk is such a good player. He's, he's a big influence around the dressing room, but to make him captain next season, it, as I say, it just causes a problem that the Liverpool don't need. I mean, why, why rock the boat? Absolutely. Right. I'm going to put this one to all three of you. I'll start with you, yep. Steve. This is from David Maloney. Which player, excluding Steven Gerrard, from the 2005 Champions League winning team will get into this team? I don't know why. Well, they didn't put Traore down. I, I thought I would say it's which a, player, excluding Gerrard and Traore. Um, yeah, for, like, Harry Kuehl or Mo Salah? Um, no, for me, it's, it's, it's Jabi Alonso. 
you know, it's it, it, there still isn't a player in the Premiership with the with the capabilities that he had, and to add him into that midfield, we look how strong our defence is, our goalkeeper, our, our our front. Imagine him dictating play and and being part of that midfield three. Behind now, don't get me wrong, anybody would take a prime Steven Gerrard into that midfield three, but after him, it's Xabi Alonso all day long. Anyone else we could make a look? Al- Alonso again. In fact, you could, have, you know, you'd have to have <laughs> Jamie Carragher in there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carragher think, and Van Dijk wouldn't be bad, yeah, would it? That would, that would be a dream centre back combination. I think those two, because you, you go back to, to 2005, and yeah, Carragher was, you know, he was, he was arguably, you know, the best in Europe around that time. And you think about, you know, especially the, the iconic images of that night, putting his body on the line. I think, um, yeah, that would be a mouthwatering partnership. Him alongside Van Dijk. The fact that we can't really put anyone else in there. Yeah, you wouldn't just, have anyone else. It shows how good the current team is, but it shows what an unbelievable job Rafa did to win that Champions League. <laughs> sure does. Okay, we'll go on to the, the next questions. So working our way through these, and I'll, uh, I'm going to ask... This, this is one that comes up, and we've talked about it. We, we touched on the fact that Klopp hasn't won a trophy with Liverpool just yet. Um, this conversation might be null and void in a few days, but... It's from uh, Edwin Quigley. He said, can Klopp's time be deemed a success to date if he loses another final? So basically, do trophies matter? I mean, it's a really good point. Isn't it? I, th- I think there's a, there is an obsession in modern football with if you fall just short, everyone's a fraud, aren't they? That's, that's the thing these days. You've bottled it. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't hold your nerve. Um, you know, He's been found wanting tactically and all the rest of it. And... You know, I'm sure between now and Saturday, a lot will be made of the fact that Klopp's lost, what is it, six successive finals in his managerial career. But, you know, it's, you know as Klopp describes himself, you know, for him, it's about the journey. And I think you speak to the, most, you know, the majority of, of, of football fans and they'll agree with that. Because, you know, just because Liverpool came a point short in the Premier League title race this season, does that make it null and void everything, everything they did along the way and all the amazing memories that were created? I'd... I'd say certainly not. And you look at where Liverpool are now to when Klopp came in, you know, they haven't won a trophy, but you know, have fans enjoyed the ride? Would you say Liverpool's in a much better position? Um, of, of course, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it goes, goes without saying, but I still believe in terms of cementing your legacy as a manager and as players, you still have to go on and take that final step. I think you know, one of those questions I saw in there was, you know, can Klopp be regarded as one of Liverpool's greatest ever managers if he doesn't win stuff? And I think he can't really. I don't think you can. I don't think you can put him on the same level as as Shankly or Paisley if you don't win the biggest things. I think because that's a key part of any team and any manager's development of of being able to do it on the absolute biggest of stages under the intense pressure. And you know, he, he's done an extraordinary job at Liverpool. Um, and this, this team deserved to win something. There's no doubt about that. You know, it would be an absolute travesty after the season they've had if they end up trophyless. Um, and that's why you, know, you, just, you just hope that they do hold their nerve and deliver come Saturday night because um, you know, there's not many players who can say they won the, the European Cup with Liverpool. Not many managers. You, know, you think about you know, the company that they keep. You know, they, they suddenly elevate themselves into... Anfield's pantheon of legends and I think to a man that team that we've got at the moment d- deserve to be ranked in there It'd be nice Ian wouldn't it not to have the conversation anymore 
the trophy conversation. Which well, is... that, that's it. I mean, we wouldn't be mentioning Jimmy Traore and Harry Kuehl if they hadn't won the Champions League. Because that, that's, that's what winning a trophy actually Leather does for you. I mean, in a, in a few years' time, you know, people might not look... People, the Liverpool fans will look at this season and go, look, 97 points, Champions League final. But for everybody else, they'll just say, oh, Man City won that. And if Liverpool lose, it'll be, they'll be thinking the top. And that's, as James said, history judges you on what you achieve. And so from that point of view, Liverpool do need to, to win a trophy. But you know, as James said, and we've said before, it's been, it's been such a good laugh as well. It's, it's just been hilarious with Klopp in charge, but that's what I think anyway. Yeah, no, it has. It's been an incredible journey, Steve. Yeah, I, I, where, I, where do you... I break it down between the players and the fans. So for me, it's important for the players, for the manager to win trophies. The way I look at it is football is a hobby for me. It's important I'm able to enjoy it. It's important that I'm able to sit down every weekend and look forward to the match that I'm going to watch. And, and I look at the couple of years or three years that Mourinho had in charge at Man United. Yes, he won silverware. Probably some of the most miserable years that any Man United fan has had as a, as a, as a fan. And for me, to be able to sit down, watch that game every weekend. And if we fall a point short from City and have an amazing nine months of a, of a Premiership campaign, if we get to a Champions League final and lose to Spurs, yes, it'll be galling to do that, but Christ, we've had a great season. And if we continually have them as fans, we should be, we should be more than happy to be watching this football and having this group of players around us. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We're going to stick with the positivity, okay? <laughs> okay? This is a question from Natasha O'Brien. Ian, I know you were at both games. What was your favourite comeback win? Istanbul or Barcelona? Um, Barcelona, probably in, in, a, in 35 years of watching Liverpool, which, considering only 21, is a bit unusual. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best night, the best night of them all, simply because I think Liverpool played so well. Everything was kind of stacked against them. And there was the whole thing of the first leg where they should never have lost that 3-0. They came off the pitch thinking, how on earth that's just happened? And, of course, at the end of the second game, it's Barcelona who were walking off thinking, why on earth that's just ha- how's that just happened? And it's because it was such a great night. I don't think I've ever seen... The only other one that can compare is probably Chelsea in the Champions League in 2005, semi-final. That... The, Nope, somebody scored, yeah. <laughs> somebody scored. <laughs> uh, but in terms of actual comebacks, Liverpool were 3-0 down against AC Milan with, with that one, you know, Jimmy Traore and everybody else He's playing. Get, Jimmy Traore. I know, Jimmy Traore and Adam Bogdan. the line but, in that game. But Istanbul would have to be the best one because they did win a trophy at the end of it. And that brings back to the question we just had earlier about its trophies that ultimately define whether you are a success or not even if you can, as with Manchester United, win them in the most tedious and forgettable way. <laughs> what about this question from Ronan McNabb, and this is for you, Ian. What's your best moment that you've shared with James Pearce? <laughs> I presume this is... Tell, tell the story, Ian. Tell the story. I'm not, I'm not saying that story, now. <laughs> uh, when, when we go to the games, James always, James always he sits, sat next to me, and I'm not sure whether anybody follows him on Twitter, but when Liverpool score, he gets very excited and... It's not just in his tweets that he gets excited. When he scores, he, he literally does often jump up and down in the, in the press box. And when Origi scored against Everton, he actually strangled me. So <laughs> that, is <true. laughs> that, is, that is true, yeah. So 
And that was a very intimate moment I'm that we shared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to say that. Were you strangling them because you were thinking, okay, as great as this goal just, is? I think you just strangled me to the opportunity to kill me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he was thinking that's a prime opportunity. Yeah, 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 really, yeah, no one yeah. will notice. No yeah. witness. Just, yeah, just kick him under a chair, he'll be fine. <laughs> There's a lot of questions as well about Tottenham. Should Liverpool want Harry Kane to play or not? Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we touched on it earlier, didn't we? I, personally, I, I think it would actually probably benefit Liverpool if he, if he does play, just because, from what we've seen previously, he, he is one of those strikers who needs time to, to get up to pace. Um, and the fact that it will, would mean that Lucas Moura, who I thought was absolutely brilliant at Anfield a couple of months ago, and Son, who's had a, a great season as well, one of the two of those would miss out. So, um, yeah, usually... You know that would seem a strange thing to say. You would want Harry Kane to be playing against you because, you know, he is he is top level. But you know, I think after two months out, um, yeah, I think that would actually play into Liverpool's hands. Here's one for you, Jurgen Klopp. Will he have a word at one of his defenders to say test out that ankle if Harry Kane starts? What are you suggesting there? <laughs> Just. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Milner if he plays. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you think you'd be a prime <laughs> man for that? You think of what Milner did to Neymar at Anfield. And to Messi, is it? Yeah. In the new camp, he... the worst. Sorry. Yeah. I think then... Kane's come out this week with an interview about his ankle injury, and he's mentioned about the fact that you know it would only take another tackle like that to to, to put him off again. And I was thinking, are you? Well, I was I was thinking to myself, are you okay in the head? And then I just realised he's a fat-tongued idiot, so <laughs> probably not. So so uh, yeah. We've we've talked about. The, the formidable front three. Oshin O'Mahon wants to know who is your preferred striker, Mane or Salah? Do you know what? It's a tough one. I think. I suppose the question it, it, is probably in right, like today. <laughs> <laughs> Forget what happened last season. I suppose right now. Yeah, I mean, you still you look at the numbers and you know, you'd still say that Salah has has been the. The, the kind of the more productive, especially you know on the on the assist front this season. But you know if you're looking at most improved players in that Liverpool team, then you'd you'd say that Sadio Mane would be right up there. I think he's elevated himself, if not onto Mo Salah's level, then you know very very close to it. Because you think even when we were having that dodgy spell in January February, you know that would have been a lot worse than it was. But for Sadio Mane's goals. Um, and he scores big goals as well. You know, you think about his contribution away to Bayern Munich. You know, like you know that that that, that first goal with you know the the pass of the season from Virgil Van Dijk, the touch, the spin away. You know, to make an absolute mug of a keeper as 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 good as Neuer in the way that he did. Um, you know, to share the golden boot when you know he doesn't take penalties. Um, you know, was he 26 in all competitions? The best, you know, the most prolific campaign of. Of his, in, of his entire career, and I remember when when he signed his new contract. Uh, you know, what was it? Probably back end of last year. And Klopp said then, I think it was in, in his in his quotes after that. He said, "The thing with Sadio now is he said he's never really appreciated how good he can be." And he said, "And now the pennies dropped. Now you're seeing him believe in himself." And you know, certainly you speak to the defenders uh, who are in that squad. And when it comes to training sessions at Melwood, you know, he's the one they kind of fear facing because you know with that burst of pace of his he, you know he is a real handful for for any defender on the planet 
Steve, you mentioned the Salah goal yep. as the best goal, maybe Liverpool goal this season. Is Mane's one against Munich? I, I, I'm sorry to say I'd actually forgotten about that when I was when I was talking. Just um, everything that was involved. Yeah, stage. yeah, no, it's but and and you have to look at that get, goal against City as well. Just the build-up play, passes? the amount of passes against the most elite side in the Premiership. Let's be honest, they won the league. They are the best side in the in the league. Um, so to to do that to them and and to so yeah, it's really difficult to call. You know, it, it, it's the toss of a coin between between those, a three-sided coin, clearly, um, between those three goals um, for me, yeah. This is a question from Fiona. Would you take Coutinho back? Oh! I'll let you answer that one, Ian. I'll go first on that one. You go first on that one. You have a nap? Can I remind you, folks, this is a live podcast. Family audience. Blood Red can't be uh, beeping out all these words. Right? <laughs> um, would I take him back? Yeah. 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 Definitely. No. Def- no you're already saying that because you know what you said. said. Besides, <laughs> <laughs> you said you have no heartbeat, James. No, no, definitely not. A hundred percent. Why? Because he made his bed and he's got a lie in it. I think. Well, he, uh, in fairness, would he be able to lie in it because his back was Adam? Remember. What's that, sorry? His, his back was Adam, so he might need to be able to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Was, I think, I think it, it just... The whole manner in which he went about his exit left too much of a sour taste, I think. You know, you, know, you, think, you think back to that, that pre-season, you're right. You know, it was the same day that he met Mike Gordon in Munich. I think Liverpool were playing uh, in the pre-season tournament that, there, and he'd been agitating for the move since I think they were in Hong Kong. And, uh, and Mike Gordon told him that day, face-to-face in Munich, you're not going anywhere. And then suddenly th- that was the same time where this mystery back injury started. And then I think everything that then went on from that, what was it, the day before the start of the Premier League season, putting in the transfer request, you know, that was, that's a cynical attempt to unsettle a team at a very, very crucial time. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I think Liverpool have moved on without him as well. I just, I don't even, you know, you, I know you could make a case for if the price dropped low enough, you know, it would be a decent business move, but... I just think it would send out the wrong signals. I just think, you know, he decided his career was better served elsewhere. He's been proved wrong. The, the, the grass wasn't greener for him in, in Barcelona. He's had to sit and watch Liverpool now play in two Champions League finals without him. Uh, he thought he was bigger than the club and he was wrong and Liverpool don't need Philip Coutinho. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think on that one, Phil... As well, <laughs> you were saying, would you take Suarez back? I think Liverpool are at a stage now where they don't need to take players back. They're able to go and get pretty much whatever player they want. And a few years back, it was a case of, geez, the thoughts of getting a player like Coutinho or Suarez back would be amazing. The thoughts of, you know, Torres was leaving us at a time and everybody was gutted. But we're not in that situation anymore. We don't need to do it. We can go out and pick the best players in Europe and add them to this elite squad. Yeah, Andy Carroll on, on a free, free on a free. I think that's why people were gutted when Torres left because <laughs> Andy Carroll came in and said. Now we'll get predictions in a moment, but we've been talking a lot about Jurgen Klopp and question from John O'Brien. I suppose we kind of have to wonder how long is Klopp going to be at Liverpool for? Will he extend his stay? 
It's a good question. Um, it, Klopp's been asked it a few times, I must admit, in his, you know, every week he does his separate kind of 10, 15 minutes with the newspapers and it's come up a few times and each time he's, he's battered it away and, and said it's the wrong time, I'm not interested, you know, the, the, this is not the, you know, the, the time to even be thinking about that. I mean, you can understand where he's coming from and he's still got three years to go, you know, 2022 his contract extends to. I think people maybe get a little bit edgy just because you kind of look at his career the way it's been seven years at mine, seven years at Dortmund. You know, will it be seven years at Liverpool and then something else? I mean, we, we all hope it, it won't be. Um, I'd be very surprised if he didn't stay beyond that. I think he will. I think he'll, I think he'll sign another extension, um, maybe even this summer. Because I just, you, you only have to look at the way that he is. What, you know, we talk about why would any player now even think about moving on from Liverpool? Why would Jurgen Klopp even be thinking about, you know, you know, I think he, he described as bullshit the rumours coming out of Italy this week, you know, linking him with Juventus. Why? That, that's the level Liverpool are at now. What, the idea that Klopp would even think twice about Get the Juventus. Get managed Chan again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, that, 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 <coughs> he's put Liverpool at such a level now where, you know, there, I think there are very, very few jobs that would even that would even cross his mind and you know i think he's always said that you know i think he, by 60 i think he said he wants to be thinking about potential retirement i don't think he he want, doesn't want to be one of those managers who's managing deep into his 70s but you know he's still he's still early 50s isn't he he's got a long long way ahead of him and um you know i i i would be i would be very surprised if we don't see him going way beyond that 7 years okay but i'm i actually i'm curious there was a chair Anyone know the score? Chelsea. We're in Ireland. I think it would be only right that we talk about Irish players for Liverpool. There's not as many as there used to be in, in previous years, but there's a young goalkeeper, Cuevin Kelleher. You know, he, he's, he's always training with the, with the first-team squad. How highly thought of is he at Liverpool? Yeah, very highly thought of. I think you know he'll be he'll be out there um, with with Allison and with Simon Mignolet before the the game on Saturday night. I think um, certainly going back to to last summer uh, on the preseason tour of America, he was one of those young players who you know that time of year is always massive for young players because you've got you've got kind of star names coming back late due to major tournaments and all the rest of it and and extended breaks. And it's a real opportunity and a stage for them to show what they can do. And he was one who last summer kind of massively kind of catapulted himself forward in, in Klopp's eyes. Certainly jumped ahead of Kamil Grubara, the, the Polish young goalkeeper who was, I'd say, was ahead of him up to that point. And, you know, it was telling, I think, that certainly in the second half of the season, Grubara went off on loan to, to Denmark. Kelleher has, has, been, has been kept around. Um, so, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's one they've got high hopes for. I mean, obviously, another one would be, you know, who it hasn't worked out for, would be Conor Masterson, um, who was, you know, at Liverpool for a number of years, was around, you know, I think he was on, on the bench when we played City in the quarterfinal of the Champions League last season. You know, had a few injuries that have held him back. He's now, he's now been released. But, um, yeah, Keller has won that they've got, they've got big hopes for. And I suppose, I suppose the big decision with that this season will be, you know, what happens with Mignolet. You know, you know, because I think I think Mignolet will leave. I think he'll, I think he's he's too good a number two, and I think the age he is, I don't think he'll want to stick around for another year just warming the bench. And then Klopp's got a big decision. Then you know, does he trust Kelleher? 
to be the deputy, which maybe would, probably would be too much of a leap considering his lack of experience. And then if he does bring in another experienced keeper as the number two, you know, we may well see Kelleher go out on loan to, to get some more experience under his belt. As long as it's not Adam Bogdan. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he's, a, he's a free agent this summer. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good reason for that, James. <laughs> <laughs> Another player I want to talk about, he's not an Irish player, but he's a player that we've heard a lot about, Ian Brewster, Ryan Brewster. Uh, you know, we hear about how much potential he has. Unfortunately, has been hampered by injuries. Is next season the season where we get to see a bit of him in the first team? Well, going off what Jurgen Klopp has said then, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a huge fan of him. As you mentioned, you know, Ryan Bruce, I think, would have been knocking on the, the door of the first team last year if he hadn't got that injury for the uh, under-23s playing against Manchester City, which he thought he was going to be out for, let's say, six or nine months, ended up being more than a year. Uh, for a player who's actually never played a game of senior professional football, there's an awful lot expected of him. But, I mean, I've spoken to him. He's the kind of, a, the kind of the person who'd probably take that in his stride. I've seen him play, and I've seen him play at England uh, under-17s level. I think he, he played in the team that won the, the under-17s World Cup a couple of years ago. I've seen him play for the under-23s. Wherever he's played, he's always looked one of the best players on the pitch, which is always a very good sign. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, I mean, you might mention the transfers, but you know, with Sturridge going, there's a likelihood that Liverpool might look at a, a new striker or certainly a forward player. But with Ryan Brewster, Klopp's got so much faith in him. He, he'll go like, you know, he could be... Because Liverpool lost Ings and lost Solanke and didn't, re didn't really replace them. Um, and I think Brewster will be the replacement for them simply because Klopp has so much faith in him. Given, you know, he's also he's training around the, the, the first team every single week now and he's been doing that for, since he's come back from his injury. So the other players know how good he is. OK, we're going to leave on a positive note, OK? Prediction yeah. time. Okay. I think we're all going to... Yeah. I have a feeling I know which way we'll go, but I suppose... Don't, don't give my spurs on penal shouts. <laughs> no, I'll keep, no, I'll keep that one for, uh, for another day. But I'll, I'll start with you, Steve. Um, I'm quite confident. 3-1 uh, in 90 minutes. Ian? Uh, well, anybody who listens to our Blood Red podcast will know I've got a certain disdain for all things Tottenham, so... When I said before that I was not particularly nervous when Liverpool were in the last five minutes against Barcelona, it was the complete opposite when I was watching Ajax Tottenham the following day because I was desperate for Tottenham not to win. But obviously they're there. But Liverpool are just a better team than them. They're a better team. And if, 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 Liverpool, if, Liverpool play, if Liverpool play to the level that they have done for like 90% of the games this season, they'll win by two goals. I think it'll be tight. I think, I think what we've learned is that Liverpool, when they, even, when they do win major finals, they never do it the easy way. They always, they always put us through the ringer, and I'm sure they'll do the same again on Saturday night. I can see it going to extra time. I think one each after, after 90. But, 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 but there's a but. You're not pleased to come out here, Jay. There's a very big but. But I, I, I do think that, that Liverpool will come out on, on top. I just think... The greater experience, having been there last year, everything they've been through as a team, it feels like they've been building up for this moment. So Liverpool 3-1 after extra time. You know the way everyone was giving out about the FA Cup final, it was boring. I'd have no problem if Liverpool went and won 6 you know, that's the most boring Champions League final. But I have a feeling it's going to be a lot tighter to that than that. But that's pretty much our lot. Thanks to you all for coming to D2. Thanks to the panel. 
James Pierce, Ian Doyle from the Liverpool Echo, Steve Daly from the LFC, Day Trippers, the Blood Red podcast. So you'll be able to listen back. It'll be going out tomorrow. Uh, thanks to the sponsors, Carlsberg as well. And I said, when you're on your way out, you will get um, something to mark the occasion as well. So if you're on your way through the, where the cloakroom is, you get a gift on your way out. And uh, I thought maybe when we were leaving, we might be able to go and watch the end of the Europa League final, but it sounds like it's done and dusted. But uh, safe home, folks. And if you're going to Madrid, yeah. enjoy it. And if you're not going, enjoy it anyway. And hopefully it'll be a positive result. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.